Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Let's get into it tonight. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to jump in it and teach it. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. And the sweet psalms of Israel. Now, that's the introduction to David. And then this is what he actually says. The Spirit of the Lord spoke. Somebody say spoke. Okay, I'm going to preach on that in a second. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and His Word was on my tongue. Now, the thing that I'm going to deal with in a second is His Word was on my tongue. What kind of word is He talking about? Because at the time of 2 Samuel 23, verse 3, Isaiah had not been written yet. Watch now. The Old Testament canon, as we understand it, had not been written completely yet. Okay? So I'm going to come back and hit that in a second. All right? Um, And his word was on my tongue. Verse 3, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning. When the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing forth out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secured. For this is my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. They cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and a shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Verse 8, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Y'all got to help a brother out. Come on, somebody. They don't teach those names in New Brockton High School. That's where I'm from. That education did not teach me how to say those names. All right, there you go. Chief among the captains. He was also called Jimmy and John because he had killed... Y'all can read it later. He, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Verse number 9. After him was a man named Eleazar. How'd I do? Alright. Praise the Lord. Eleazar, the son of... I, I'm, I don't want to mess with that one either. I know I'll get that one wrong and I'll lose the service. Three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. Notice what happens. He arose, attacked the Philistines, until his hand, do you see there, became weary, and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder I hope you get ready tonight. I'm going to give this word. This is Kingdom Builders Part 5. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the water baptisms that have taken place. I thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that went forth of the healing. And I thank you, God, for every person that received their miracle tonight. I give you praise for that. I pray, God, that you open up our hearts. May we receive this word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's get into it. Now, tonight we will be working our way through this passage that we just read. But my subject will be taken from verse number 10. You can go ahead and put that verse up there. And what, what stood out, uh, stuck, stuck out to me was the fact that his hand was stuck to the sword 
uh, insinuating that even if he wanted to let go, he was unable to let go. That he had fought so long that his hand just kind of went to the went to the sword there with that grip. Now that was a natural occurrence that really did happen. So I don't want you to take what I'm saying out of context. I recognize that that is a real story and that it physically happened. However, tonight I want to draw a spiritual truth from it that I find in God's word, which is this right here. Do not drop your weapon. This is my subject. I'm, I'm giving it to you right now. Hold tightly to your sword. Are you listening to me? Because the natural sword of verse number 10 becomes our spiritual sword called the word of God. I'm going to give you scriptures in a second, all right, towards the end of this. But when you study out God's word, there's two words that comes. One, you go to that next slide. Uh, do I, uh, not, not yet. Yeah, yeah. Do I have it up there? Not yet. One is logos, okay? Two words, okay? Two words. One is called logos. Logos is this word right here. It is the written word, okay? So when we talk about the sword of the spirit, well, I'm going go, to get there in a second. The sword of the spirit is the word of God, okay? One of the word, logos, is God's word. I need, I need everybody to hear me because I don't want nobody to take me out of context. Is God's word right here. However, scripture also talks about a, another word called a rhema word. A, it is a prophetic word or it is a word that God speaks directly to us. Do you understand? Now, the rhema word does not supersede the logos word, okay? You understand? But it would be like this right here. Um, to give you an example, whenever I moved back here in uh, October of 2012, in June of that year, before I ever came back, I was still pastoring at hell, but God gave me a, logo, a, a rhema word that said, I'm about to give Vincent Revival Center beauty for ashes, okay? So it was a logo. It came from God's word, but, it, but I took it as a personal word for our church. Give me a little nod right there. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. Now, so, so let's take, that's my point. That's my subject. Now let's take the long journey to arrive back to that point. Is that okay? Is that all right? I'm going to take the long journey. So buckle up. Here we go now. So 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1, we're going to plow through it. But you know where I'm going as I'm preaching this. So here it is. It starts off with David right there. Now, these are the last words of David. Now, David is a leader. David is a kingdom builder. So I want to begin to uh, develop this message by talking about leadership and talking about kingdom builders and specifically. So listen to the words of David. David is a smart man. David is the one who fought a lion and was able to live to tell about fighting that lion. He also fought a bear and he also fought a giant. So David was chosen by God to do a work for God. And remember, David was handpicked from his brothers. God loves all of us the same, but he uses us differently. Watch now. Jesus looked at the 70 disciples and out of 70 disciples, he chose 12 apostles. Out of the 12 apostles, he chose three the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So we need some leaders in the kingdom builders. We need some chosen leaders. And so when you look at 2021, we need real leaders leading a real movement. Watch now. Not people who can manage momentum, but in the kingdom of God in 2021, we need some preachers, we need some laity who can create momentum by getting in the move of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need some kingdom builders. You can go to that next slide and let it roll through. What you're fixing to see is about 10 to 15 kingdom builders that this church supports. We support these individuals uh, monthly. 
And when we meet next week, starting next Wednesday, next Sunday, and we take up the pledge, your money is going to some of these individuals. These people serve all over the world, whether you're talking about in Ecuador, in Asia, in Central America, South America, Africa, all over the world. These are kingdom builders. These are missionaries that we support. Now watch. They are real people, and your offerings go to those individuals. And all of life is hinged on leadership. Marriages is hinged on, on leadership. Your job is hinged on leadership. Church, missions, the government, all of it hinges on leadership. Life is shaped by those decisions of individuals who are in leadership. And oftentimes we do not take the time to become a sharper leader because we falsely believe that leadership only belongs to what we would consider positions of leaders. Not recognizing that we are all leaders in some capacity. I believe that if you have influence, then you are a leader. Did you hear what I just said? I believe influence is leadership. Because if you can influence somebody, then you need to be influencing them in a positive direction, which means you are now a leader. Therefore, leadership impacts your decision. It impacts your stewardship ability of what you have influence over. You're not just fathering children as an example, but you're leading them children. As an example, did you hear what I just said? You're not just fathering children, you're leading children. So if you have influence, you are now a leader. No matter where you are in your life, you are, lead, you're, you are leading a sequence of events that will determine a certain kind of outcome. Therefore, leadership has been so cheapened today uh -huh, that if I can start a Facebook Live event, then I can assume an expertise about a subject in which I have no training in. I'm going to throw my mic at somebody in a second. You better hear me. Hey, I got a word for you tonight. Don't believe every video on Facebook. This thing on tonight. Come on, somebody. Don't believe every wild story that is on Facebook. You have to have some discernment of the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, just as an example. Every time the Bible begins to teach about the end times, it doesn't matter if it was Matthew, Paul, or Peter, or John. Every single one of them. I could, I'm just going to give you one reference. I can give you a whole bunch. But anytime you do eschatology, one of the first things that the biblical writers always, always start off with is saying, let no one deceive you by any means. By any means. By Facebook means, YouTube means, or anybody that has a business card means. Come on, let help me preach this. Just because somebody has 500,000 views does not make them an expert on what they are talking about. Oh, I'm talking about leadership now. Part of what you have to steward as a leader is yourself. You have to steward your emotions. You have to steward your relationships and your conversations. you got to know when to talk and when to mm, Yes, sir. Making sure that you are engaging in the right habits on a daily basis that will ultimately produce the desired outcome in your life. Leadership is developed daily. It's not developed in a day. Now watch. Jesus would oftentimes go up on the mountainside and begin to pray because he had habits. He had, he had self-control about himself. Leaders cannot spin themselves into spiritual deficits, emotional deficits, or even physical 
deficits and then think that they will be of any service to those in whom they lead. The quality of leadership is tied to how healthy you are as a person. We need healthy leaders, not just available leaders. Did you hear what I said? This is why we need to pray for our kingdom builders. This is why we need to pray for our missionaries. We need not just talented leaders, but sound and stable leaders, not tossed back and forth with all the craziness that is going on in our world. We need some healthy leaders. And the reason this is important is because when God begins to move, he's, he always moves through a person. Watch now. He always moves through a person. You know where I'm going. The reason I gave that to you first so that you wouldn't think I'm lost in this message. Think about the Azusa Street Revival. It happened in 1907 in Los Angeles, California. Now, every modern uh, Pentecostal fellowship denomination, it doesn't matter if it's the Assemblies of God, Church of God, Church of God of Prophecy, Church of God in Christ, Church of God in your mama in the first refrigerator church. It don't matter. Any, any, any Pentecostal church that's out there, listen to me now, four square, all of them, all find their roots back to Azusa Street. And what happened at the revival in Azusa Street, it, it was birthed through a man named William Seymour. Are you understanding me? Yeah. All right, so when God gets ready to move, he, he's not, he doesn't just move, he moves on people. This church that we're sitting in tonight, it was birthed to a man named J.R. Carmichael. And so God uses people. God only does what he is invited to do through people, through you, through me. I just said a mouthful. God is only going to move where he's invited to move. This is why you and I have to pray. If God's sovereignty alone could do on the earth whatever he wanted to without working through a person, then there would be no need for us to do intercession. Okay? All right? This is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. Prayer is the invitation for God to move through people to build his kingdom. Are you still with me? All right. When you talk about Elijah, the move of God that happened with Elijah, it moved through a person. Elisha, it moved through a person. John the Baptist, it moved through a person. And I am convinced that God still wants to move through his people. Those missionaries that you just saw. I believe that God still wants to move through them. And I believe that God still wants to move through you and through me. Hell has worked overtime to reduce your self-esteem. To no longer have confidence in your ability to do what God has called you to do. Did you hear some of the testimonies of some of our ladies of the church? And all the hell that they had been through trying to reduce their self-esteem and that's the reason we need to be in an atmosphere that says God can still use you God can restore everything the devil tried to steal from you in our text I'm moving I'm moving through it look at verse number two now I want you to know what King David begins to talk about I've already read it so I'm just going to reference it notice what King David begins to talk about it was not about Saul. It wasn't because uh, David had already moved on past the insults of Saul. I'm going somewhere. It was not about his dad. Jesse overlooking him. David had already moved on and forgiven his dad. I'm going somewhere. Notice what David wants the listeners to understand about his 
understanding. What he knows and what he wants to communicate is ultimately from a word that God had spoken to him that he now wants to speak to you. David had a word from God and that word was a rhema word. Why? Because this was spoken to David before the book of Isaiah was written. Again, you got to put it in context. This was spoken to David before Jeremiah was written. It was spoken to David before 1st and 2nd Samuel was written. Are you understanding what I'm saying? David had a word from God over his life. All right, look at verse 2 now. And if I had points, this would be one of the first points. If you can achieve the destiny without God, then the assignment probably is not from God. It was a word from God over his life that Samuel prophesied and said, you'll be the next king. If he could not have become the next king without God's hand upon his life. Are, are you hearing me? Okay? So God never calls a person to do something that does not require God to be a part of it. Hello, kingdom builders. It will take God doing something to get done what you're trying to get done if the assignment is from him. Kingdom builders will take a move of God. Raising up missionaries will take a move of God. Bringing revival to this land is going to take a move of God. God never wants you not to need Him. Did you hear me tonight? Psalms 127 says it like this, verse number 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain who build it. Do you see that tonight? No matter the assignment, whether the assignment upon your life is to be the best father you can be, or to be the best husband that you can be, or the best wife, the best mom, or the best pastor, the best missionary, the best nurse, whatever your assignment is, the Lord, you're going to need the help of God in order to produce the thing that God has called you to do. James chapter 4 verse 10 begins to give us the recipe on how to get the favor of God upon your life. Notice what James says about it. Humble who? Come on somebody. Yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You have, Whenever you have an assignment from God, this is, this is your approach right here. You go before God with humility and declare that I can't do it without you. That's your prayer. You should hear my prayer sometimes. My prayer in my prayer closet kind of goes like this. Lord, if you don't do something tonight, it's going to flop. Come on, somebody. Lord, if you don't move, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I, if you heard my prayer, it wouldn't give you much confidence. Come on, somebody. <laughs> because I go to the Lord in, in, in a humble state quite often. Quite often, all right? So now, pride comes before the fall. Be, remember, remember that. Be willing to admit that you don't know everything. You have to be willing to admit that you don't know everything. You have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to follow you and your instructions. And I, and I am going to stay with God because if I stay with God, I will see the victory in my life. Let me keep going right here. Look at verse number three. Leaders need the fear of God. And I'm going to look at this fear of God as discipline. Okay? Disciplines in our life. Self-control in our life. I think if you have a healthy fear of God is going to produce healthy habits in your life. Are you tracking with me? Because the enemy attacks us on our disciplines. 
For every person in authority, you must remember that you too are under authority. And if we don't remember that, then we become a law unto ourselves, therefore becoming accountable to no one. And we will justify whatever action or decision I make in my life, I will justify it because I am not submitted or held accountable to anybody. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? So how does the devil get a foothold? How does he do it? In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, it talks about don't open the door for the devil. That verse, nor give place to the devil, that verse is not written to unbelievers. That verse is written to believers. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So one of the ways that the devil begins to attack us is in our self-control, our disciplines. Our disciplines become weak. And what I mean by disciplines, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of word, the discipline of worship and praise and fellowship with other believers or watching a live stream. Our disciplines become weak and we must humble ourselves. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. We want strong marriages, but we have no discipline in our tongues and in our words that we speak to our spouse. Okay, I'm just giving you a little example. All right. We say we want a strong marriage, but there's no discipline in how we speak to one another. We must have the discipline of the deliverance that we want. Oh, let me say that again. We must have the discipline of the deliverance that we want. If you don't get just as disciplined in your life as you are delivered in your life, then you will continue to go in circles and never move forward. Oh my goodness, I just said a mouthful and I'm preaching better than you shouting right now. You can come up here and get delivered every single Sunday. But if you don't have some disciplines in your life when you walk out, that's the reason you got to keep coming back up. Galatians 5.23, just so that you know I'm in the Bible, okay? One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control because y'all looking at me like I'm funny right now, all right? So don't ignore God's instructions to your life. Don't ignore it. Listen, there is no random instructions from God to you. Amen. They're not random, okay? This discipline, this self-control, if you uh, would rather for me to use that word right there, this discipline is for your destiny. Because if you go to your destiny without the discipline, then you will lose that place because you have no staying power to handle what God has given Oh, I'm talking about marriages. I'm talking about jobs. I'm talking about promotions. I'm talking about pastoring. I'm talking about anything that you want to talk about tonight. If you get there and God gives you a place and you have no disciplines in your life, you will lose it. All right? All right. So discipline. Let me give you another example of self-control of disciplines. One of the teachings of Scripture, fundamental teachings of Scripture is forgiveness. Buckle up. Come on. All right. Here we go now. I'm just, I'm just chasing a little rabbit right here. So watch. I'm talking about unforgiveness here. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you, can walk, you cannot walk into a store with somebody that you have unforgiveness towards and your mood stay the same. Okay? If you see somebody who has hurt you or wounded you, all of a sudden your entire chemical makeup has been distorted because you saw someone that you have unforgiveness for. Therefore, forgiveness is a warfare weapon in the hand of a believer. Why? When you give forgiveness 
to somebody, it does not give permission to that person's behavior, but it does release me from the impact of their assaults upon my life. So forgiveness becomes a weapon. Their assault against me is now nullified. Because if I can't forgive, then I can't control my thoughts. If I can't forgive, I can't control my mood. I can't control my behavior. And I have to remind myself that I belong to God and not to their dysfunction. I feel like I'm plowing deep ground right here. When you offer that forgiveness, they no longer control you. They can't control my sleep no more. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord. They don't control what I'm going to do next. Let me keep going. Verse number three. This is my third point right here. I mean, verse number six. Sons of rebellion. Now, sons of rebellion. When you're dealing with the enemy, and I'm going to use that as a reference to rebellion, with the enemy, how many of you know the enemy does not fight fair? Okay? He doesn't fight fair. Listen, with the enemy, anything goes and everything goes. They don't care. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 17, that this enemy that we're up against is going to beat you in the church. Come on. What? I, yeah, I said, there it is. I'll beat you in their synagogues. My heavenly father, help me preach this word. He didn't say they're going to beat you out in the alley. They said they're going to drag you in front of their church and beat you in. Yo, that's not fighting fair, y'all. At least I ought to be safe in the church house. Come on. But they're saying, Jesus is telling them, listen, they're going to beat you in the synagogues. In Matthew chapter 5, verse number 11, he says, they're going to say all kind of manner of evil against you. Nothing is going to be off limits from their tongue. Come on, somebody. They're going to put their mouth on your mama. They're going to talk about your mama. Hey, they're going to talk about your kids. Anything they can do to rile you up, they're going to find more button. And then when they find it, my friend, they're going to push it all the way. These are aggressive attacks of the enemy against your life. Uh, point four, that leads me right into my point number four. Look at verse six. So when you're dealing with this level of, again, this is a natural thing, but I'm using it in a spiritual uh, connotation right there because they cannot be taken with their hands. So in other words, when you're dealing with this kind of rebellion, this level of attack, you can't use your bare hands. I'm going somewhere. Come on, if you remember my introduction, I'm going somewhere. You can't use your bare hands. Verse number seven, you're going to have to fight with some kind of weapon. In the Old Testament, he said, you better get you a sword and a spear. But over here in the New Testament, when this when this rebellion comes our way and this adversary attacks us, you can't use your bare hands there either. Hello, somebody. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 4. Our weapons are not carnal for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Are y'all with me now? I'm about to turn a corner in just a second. Now watch. Our weapons are not carnal. The enemy is aware of this one thing you cannot defeat him in your human strength you cannot defeat him in your human strength you will lose that battle every single time you engage it the only way to lose against hell is to fight hell without God this is spiritual warfare and spiritual warfare is not always pretty. Can y'all handle this tonight? It's not always pretty. And let me just say this, because well, I'm I got this thing on me right now. And, you know, I just I'm, I'm just trying to get in trouble. I'm trying to poke the bear or something. I don't know. But listen, we need to be delivered from cosmetic Christianity. Amen. 
Because spiritual warfare is not pretty. All right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? The we need to be delivered from the perception of Christianity. I call it pretty church. Come on, somebody. I call it pretty preaching. But I, listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a communicator. Let me just say, like, I'm not a communicator. A communicator is somebody who can pronounce all the words. They can pronounce all the words. They're flawless in their presentation. Uh huh. They, they, all their sentences match. They finish their thoughts. They move correct. It's like hearing a book being read. I'm not that. I'm a preacher. Come on, somebody. I'm over here stirring you up a little bit. There is a difference, okay? And so we need to be delivered from cosmetic Christianity and pretty church and pretty preaching and pretty prayers while we're having all that pretty stuff going on around us. Our cities and our country is decaying. Folks are losing their way and entire ministries are more concerned about the public relations of how pretty they are to the masses. And I don't know how to say this, what I'm saying, except to show you that David did not start off with a pretty church. We just read a powerful scripture about some mighty men of valor. But if you would have seen those mighty men of valor back in that cave of 1 Samuel chapter 22, Verse number one, you would not have picked those same men that David had because it was not pretty church when David showed up. They were, therefore, they departed and they were in a cave. Go to the next slide. Verse number two explains these mighty men of valor at the beginning. And everyone who was there, his church was made up of a bunch of folks in distress. Everybody was in debt. Go start your church. And everybody in your church, every member's bankrupt. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captors over them. It's okay to have pretty things. I'm not against that. But don't overvalue them. We need, verse number eight, mighty men of valor. So it started there. And now we slip over here to the mighty men of valor. We need to take those who are hurting. We need to take those who are in bankruptcy. We need to take those who don't know how to be a good father right now. Who don't know how to be a good mother right now. We need to take those who are lost in sin. Are you hearing me? And God said, I will put my mercy on them. I'll put my grace on them. And I will raise up a mighty man of valor out of somebody that nobody would have anything to do with. Oh, you better hear me tonight. Look at Matthew 25, verse 4. Now, this is, again, on the same, the same wavelength, the same thought right there. Jesus was talking about whatever you do unto the least of these. I believe the way God prepares you to rule among the kings is that he watches your behavior around the peasants. How do you treat everybody? Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? With God, there is no difference of love. With God, there is no difference with honor. You treat everybody with honor and with respect and with redeeming value. Because God sent his son to die for everybody. Are you hearing me? Now, this was a rough crowd in that cave. But they developed into mighty men of valor. Go get, jump back to verse number eight. They're mighty men of valor. Here's, a, here's David. Can I, can I finish this message, y'all? All right, man. Okay. Let me finish right here. David's mighty men right here. Verse number eight. And as David 
is at the end of his life right here in this passage of scripture. He begins to focus on three men. I only have time to deal with verse number nine. Eleazar, he was outnumbered. It was not a fair fight. Hello, society is bigger than we are. Watch now. Culture is bigger than we are. The assignment upon our church, our life is bigger than we are. We are commissioned by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations. That is bigger than we are. But the big God standing behind you will use you as a sign and as a wonder to work through. He used this man. He It was a God standing behind him. And whenever it got done, they said, my goodness, how was he able to do what he was able to do? And it was only God who was empowering him. Are you listening to me? God uses small people to fight these big devils right here. It's your job to stay small before God so that he can employ his strength through your weakness. All right, let me keep going here. Point number five, look at verse number 10. I'm almost done here. In fact, the place team walked slow so everybody knows I'm almost done. But y'all know what it, you know what it means when I say I'm about to close. It don't mean nothing. Come on, somebody. All right, verse number 10. This mighty man of valor, he starts fighting. It says it right there. He's fighting. He's fighting. Fighting, fighting. He fights and he fights and he fights. He fights so much until his hand grows tired. Physically, he can't even he can't even pull his fingers off of the sword. Hear the point. He did not stop whenever he was tired. He stopped when he was finished. Oh my goodness. We have a vision and a mandate at this church as, as Christians with, with missions. Listen to me now. And we don't stop because we get tired. We stop when we're finished. Hello, kingdom builders. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Are you listening? Don't let go of your sword. Here we go. I'm, I'm almost at the end. Here it is. I'm going I'm to pull it together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 17. Notice what it says. And take the helmet of salvation and somebody say it. The sword of the spirit. And what does the Bible quantify is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I, I, I've been in my Bible the whole time. If y'all thought I was out there in left field, I've been in the Bible the whole time, which is the word of God. When Paul wrote this letter, there was no such thing as a New Testament. He's writing the New Testament. Okay, that's why there was no New Testament. Paul wasn't finished writing. Okay. All right. So there, at the time that he wrote Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 17, and gave it to the church, there was no such thing as Matthew to Revelations. Okay? So what is he referring to as the Word of God? Okay? All right. What about this passage of Scripture? Psalms 119, verse number 11. This is what David said. Your word I have hidden in my heart. What is he referring to? What word is he talking about right there? Maybe the, the, five, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. I'll give you that to you. Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe that's what he's referring to. But, but I, I want to take a little bit further because, you see, the book of Isaiah was not written by the time Psalms 119.11 was written. Jeremiah was not there. Are you listening? But the Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Here we go. Go to the next slide. Yes, Scripture is low. Logos, 100%. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. This is Logos. Okay? Okay? That's the Bible. But there is something called Rhema, which is the spoken word. It is a personal testimony or a personal prophetic 
word that is spoken over your life or something that God puts in your heart. Are you hearing me? Again, in my life, the, the rhema word that was spoken to me was I'm going to give Vincent Revival Center beauty for ashes. I'm walking under that word. I claim that word. I am not letting go of that word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it acts like a sword. And I just quote it back at the devil. Coronavirus hits our church, shuts us down. I take that sword out and say, God, you got a word. You got a word for me. I, I, again, you don't want to see me in my prayer time. Y'all you know, you think I'm crazy. But me and God dealing with stuff. You understand what I'm saying? But that I'm not going to let go of my sword. Feel this thing. Are you catching me now? Are you catching me? Okay. All right. So Rhema, Luke 5, 5. This is Rhema. This is an example of Rhema. And Peter said, instead of you, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. Now watch. He's not saying, nevertheless, at Psalms 119, verse number 11. That's Logos. But at the word of Jesus, I'll cast my net down. Are you tracking with me? That's Rhema. That's Rhema right there. Rhema is never at odds with the Logos. Okay? Nor does it replace it. Okay? It doesn't replace it. But Rhema is a personal word. I'll give you another example from Scripture. Acts 27 verse 22. So Paul is on a shipwreck. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to give you the reference. Paul is on a shipwreck. They're about to die. They think they're about to die. But, but Paul said, he stands up and says, listen. We're not going to die. Not one person on this boat is going to die. You know why? Because I, to my Paul, I'm supposed to stand before Caesar. That wasn't from quoting Psalms. That was a personal word spoken over Paul that he walked in in the face of a shipwreck. It looked like everybody was about to die. Next verse, verse number 24. It looked like everybody was about to drown out there. But Paul held that sword in his hand, that word, and said, I ain't dying. And if y'all stick with me, y'all won't die either. Right. And I'm not going to let go of this word, even though everything around us is falling apart right now. We will make it through this storm because I am supposed to be somewhere. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when going through this life, we need to grab a word, a sword from God, and we have to use it to fight back. The devil wants you to drop the one offensive weapon that you have. He wants you to drop that sword. He wants you to let go of that word. But don't fight with your bare hands. Don't drop your sword. Are you listening to me? Matthew 3.17. I'm almost done. Jesus had a word spoken over his life. At the baptism, God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God affirmed Jesus before he ever started his public ministry. Jesus did not do ministry to gain his father's affection. He did ministry from the father's affection. It released Jesus to move in power and not have to perform in front of anybody to get his father's approval. You ain't hearing me. And then right after he got that, that, that word spoken over his life, immediately he goes into Matthew chapter 4 verse 3 and the devil comes and the devil begins to tempt him at the very thing that God just spoke over his life. And here's the thing. Jesus and the devil already knew each other. I don't have time. This ain't the first time they ever met. No introductions needed. In fact, in a way, in scripture, 
This is round number two. In a way, round number one was fought in the battle of the Garden of Eden, the first Adam. Again, I don't have time to deal with the first Adam, second Adam. It's in there, though. Um, you should Google it. Look it up. I'll, I'll preach on it later. But the, the fact is that Satan won the first battle against the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. And now Satan is back to finish the deal. Yeah. Are you hearing me? Yeah. And this one battle was in a garden. One battle was, the first battle was in the garden. The second battle is in a wilderness. Hello, somebody. What the first Adam lost, the second Adam was going to win. The devil attacked his identity and Jesus had a word in his hand, a sword. And he said, it is written. Come on, somebody. It is written. So let me encourage you. You still have a word over your life. I don't care when that word was given to you. You better hear me. Maybe those words, those prayers spoken over you, over you has outlived the person who prayed it over your life. But you are only alive right now because of the prayers of the grandmother maybe that prayed over your life. I don't know who prayed it, but somebody in your life prayed, has been praying over your life. Prayers of dead people. But you still have that word over your life. I know that I'm, I'm standing here because of some prayers of a grandmother who's already went on to glory. My grandmother on my dad's side, I know she was praying for me because she was praying for all of her rebellious children. Come on, somebody. Especially the little kid having to grow up in that mess. And so I know that the only reason I'm here is because my grandmother prayed for me. Prayers of dead people, but yet the word that they pray is still functioning over your life. They are in the grave, but the prayer is still holding you up. This is why you cannot drop your sword. You cannot drop the word that has been spoken inside of your heart. Are you listening to me? I have a word in my life. I have a sword over my life. And don't let the devil take the sword out of your hand. The devil wants you to fight him in your strength and not with that word. But I'm, but you need to tell yourself, you need to preach this message to your own self that I will not forget the prayers that have been spoken over my life. Can I finish with one last thing and we'll pray. John eleven forty. Jesus shows up. This is the death of Lazarus. Notice this. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said to her, Mary, Martha, listen. Did I not say? Somebody say, say. Hey. Oh my goodness. How are y'all still? I'm about to run right out that door. Come on, son. <laughs> Did I not say to you, don't let go of that word, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Amen. Am I making it clear tonight? Did I not say to you, it's cold in here. Everybody's bundling up. Y'all better. I don't want to lose nobody. So I'm not, this is the best part. Did I not tell you? Mary, Martha, Lazarus was prepared for this battle, but they didn't even realize it. You are prepared and you are ready for the battles that you're facing right now. And you don't even realize it. Because God has already spoken some things in your life. But we have amnesia. We have spiritual amnesia. God has moved on your life in a mighty way. And what we do with that word is we do this. 
And then we try to fight the battle empty-handed. The word that I not tell you, don't let go of that word. So this is my prayer tonight. And I hope somebody is still watching my live stream. I don't know if they are or not. You know, people get bored and they turn it off. Listen to me now. But I'm talking to you in this room. To every backslidden child. To every backslidden husband. To every backslidden wife. To every backslidden dad, mom, wherever. Whatever you want to put on it. You, your people, whoever you are. Whoever's the backslidden person that I just... They're, your people are praying a word over your life. Yeah. Every backslidden child that we've raised in church, I feel this thing, go ahead and adjust the lights. Every backslidden child that we've raised in church, and they know better. Come on, somebody. Now, I'm up here now. Every backslidden child, every backslidden father, Mom, I don't care who they are. Will you help me tonight to put a word over them? Pray them back into the kingdom. Pray revival into their life. Or maybe I'm talking to you tonight and you have let go of your word. And I want to challenge you tonight to pick it back up. Somebody stand to your feet tonight. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenter.com.